We all have the desire deep down to be a part of something great, to be part of a higher purpose, to be a part of a people together in pursuit of this. And really, the ultimate desire that we have in our hearts is to belong to God and to belong to his people. Well, that wonderful value is a reality through the new covenant. I'm Mark Van Oos, and welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews titled Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. We are in Hebrews chapter 8, and Hebrews chapter 8 is one of three places in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testaments, that articulates the specifics of the New Covenant. I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open it. It helps quite a bit if you can see the Bible for yourself as we're studying it. And once again, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. And remember, we're taking time with this because this really gets into the central aspect of God's heart, what he wants to do with us, his people. And he says, God says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first, referring to the law covenant, obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Last time, when we were in our podcast, we were focusing on a new spirit, and there is a parallel passage to this particular New Covenant passage in Hebrews chapter 8, over in Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 26. Two episodes ago, we talked about the promise of a new heart. In the last episode, we talked about the promise of a new spirit, and specifically, God placing his own spirit inside of us and the infinite difference that that makes. As it's expressed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now think about that. God inside of us. Well, if you missed that episode, I want to encourage you to stop by our website at dailyinchrist.com. .org and download the episode and uh, find out more. Today, we're going to be looking at the last part of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, where the Lord says this. He says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is, again, something that God himself has achieved through the Lord Jesus Christ And his perfect life, perfect suffering, perfect sacrifice, perfect blood, perfect death, perfect resurrection, perfect ascension, and perfect ruling, we have the benefits of God saying that he will be our God and we 
shall be his people. Now, this is not something that is future tense, although in the promise as it was expressed back in Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31, the new covenant as stated there, and here cited in Hebrews chapter 8 and again in Hebrews chapter 10, what was a will be has become an already done because of what Christ has already accomplished. And this is powerful. First of all, we see that we believe, belong to the Lord, that he is our God, not the devil or the so-called gods of this world. That's significant because if you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, we find out in a rather graphic way, beginning in verse 2, who it was that we followed after before salvation, before the new birth. It says that we were dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that refers to Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And then we see in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You see, through that action, we, we were people who were following after the ways of the world, following after the cravings of the flesh and of the mind and the lusts of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. But as it says there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, God intervenes with his rich mercy, motivated by his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, even when we were lost, when we were apart from God, even when we were following after the God of this world, Satan, God brought us, saved us, made us alive. We were born again. And in that incredible miracle of grace, made possible because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can now call him our God. He is our God, and we are his people. In Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7, it says this, God says, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You see, we can return to the Lord with a whole heart because God has given us that new heart. And we talked about that two episodes ago. Our lives have been miraculously transformed through the miracle of God's grace, through the new birth. We are indeed God's people. He is indeed our God. You know, it occurs to me when we understand that God is saying, God is saying this. He's saying, I am your God. You are my people. This also includes 
God taking personal responsibility for us in love, taking care of us, providing for us. You know, when you have a father, a good father of a family, he takes care of his family, doesn't he? He loves them. He cherishes them. He provides for them. He protects them. He stands for them. Well, God is our father. Now, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say that he is our God. And he says, you are my people. Boy, that's powerful. In Romans chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, uh, we read this. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the loving of the living God. Well, true sons of the loving God, but uh, here stated sons of the living God. Now, first of all, note that it says there in Romans chapter 9, verse 25, it says, beloved. And that's like a, a, a marital relationship, one of deep love and lasting commitment and faithfulness. It says also in verse 26, sons of the living God. It's the close bond of a father and child. And when the Bible talks about sons and sonship, it isn't being, uh, it it isn't disregarding uh, women or girls. Sonship refers to a rightful heir. Whenever you see the reference of you being a son, it refers to the fact that you are an heir. You are a rightful heir. And as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, we are a joint heir together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has brought in a family of sons and daughters, men and women, boys and girls, sons of the living God. In 1 John Chapter 3, verse 1a, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Again, I want you to think of a really good, healthy family. Now, regardless of whether your natural family was a great family or a seriously dysfunctional family, when you talk about the family of God, and God as our Father, and we as His children. This is the best family of all. God, who is infinite in love, infinite in wisdom, infinite in care, is the one who says, I am your Father. You are my children. You are my child. God brings us into his family. Even if you grew up an orphan, or maybe you never knew your natural parent, you might have been an adoptive child or perhaps a foster child. You belong to God through the miracle of the new birth, and you can call him your father. And he is so happy to call you his child. Again, Let's listen to that verse in 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
you know, you didn't make the decision to be the child who you are. That was something that you were born into. Likewise, when we're born again through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, we are born again into a new family, the family of God. We with Jesus can call him Father, and he can call us our, his children. Again, we are in Hebrews chapter 8, and we're focusing on uh, Hebrews chapter 8 in verse uh, 10, where at the very end of that verse, God says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, take a few minutes or moments here, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, and as you're traveling there, I want you just to let this beautiful thought soak into you that you belong. You belong to God. He is your God. You are not only a part of his people and his family, you are his beloved child. There is something powerful about understanding that we belong. Okay, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who, were, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's unfold this bit by bit. First of all, he says, you are a chosen generation. That's key. God himself has chosen us. And I know right away we get this little instinct that says, yeah, but I'm not all that good. You know what? It's not based on your goodness. That's not what grace is. That's law. Grace is God choosing you, loving you, accepting you, blessing you, not because you're so good, but because he is that good. And Jesus has accomplished all. And so you are chosen. You're a chosen generation. You know, I, when I was a kid growing up, Remember what they would do in gym class where they would have a team or maybe you'd be playing with some of the kids in the sandlot and and they would be picking who would be on their team. For whatever reason, I was the one who was usually picked last. It was kind of like, yeah, well, okay, we'll take them. I'll tell you, that did not feel good. I really felt not wanted. I I felt left out. But God says, no, I'm picking you. I'm picking you. God himself, the creator and author of the universe says, I choose you. I want you on my team. I want you to be a part of my people. We're chosen by God. And he doesn't stop there. He says, we are a royal priesthood. Remember earlier when we were talking about Melchizedek and Jesus being a type as uh, Melchizedek, that name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. It also said that he was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. We also noted in that earlier episode in our study through the book of Hebrews that this one Melchizedek wasn't only a king, he was also a priest. And because we are in him who is both high priest 
and king of kings. We are part of a royal priesthood. That is powerful. A priesthood is 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 those who who represent man to God. Where God brings us up into that wonderful privilege and honor. When we're praying for someone else, we're executing, we're carrying out that royal priesthood that God has given us. And it's a royal priesthood. We're part of a royal family, the family of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in 1 Peter 2.9, it says that we are a holy nation. Holy in the Bible doesn't mean that you've cleaned up your act. Holy in the Bible means, first of all, to God, it means that he is completely other. He is God, and there is no other. There is no other God. He is the creator. We are the created. He is holy. That's the epicenter of his holiness. And we are holy because he has made us holy. And the idea of holiness there and throughout the Bible means separate. God is separate, being distinct from anything else because he is God. And we are separate and distinct and special because we are his. We belong to God. We are a holy nation. You think of the nation of Israel through the ages, a people with a citizenry and an allegiance to the great king, God. Also in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says that we are his own special people. How does that make you feel when you hear the word special? Well, obviously special. It's like, wow. Do you get that sense of the heart, the beating heart of, of God's love and fondness toward us? We are his special people, unique. And it says also that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think about it. We were once in darkness. We were once lost, as I read in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3, how worse could it possibly get? We were children of wrath, and now we are God's children. We are his people. We are his royal priesthood. We are his special people. We have been called, called by God out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, understand that this biblical term called is powerful. It is the call that gets it done. When God was creating, he said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. This is the God who calls things which do not exist as though they do. As it says over in Romans chapter 4, we are called, we have been called out of darkness. And now we are in his marvelous light. You might say, well, Mark, I don't really feel like him in his marvelous light. Well, rain on your feelings. Who cares about your feelings? Feelings don't determine reality. The reason why you're having problems and the reason why the feelings are all amiss is because the the data in our head is wrong. 
We believe the lie, like I had mentioned two episodes ago, that we're dirty, that we have an evil, wicked heart. No, God didn't do that. He gave us a good heart. We've been called out of darkness, past tense. We are in his marvelous light. We are his people of the light. And now it says that we now have received mercy. Uh, again, in First Peter chapter 2, who once, uh, verse 10, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It doesn't say attained. This is not something we have achieved. This is something that God has given us. We've obtained mercy. Mercy. Mercy is that which spares us from what we deserve. As I said, in, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, by nature, objects of wrath, the white-hot, just anger of God. That's what we deserved. But because of God's goodness, because of his grace carried out by the Lord Jesus Christ and accomplished by him, we have mercy. We are spared from what we deserve. And then it says, once not a people, but now the people of God. Now the people of God. Now the people of God. You know, think through the ages about the people of God. I'm thinking of um, Abraham. Well, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Isaiah, Daniel, Peter, John, Paul. Think about the Christians through all of church history. We are now one of their number. We are linked to them. That is because we are now the people of God. And we are now the people of God by God's own initiative through the glorious new covenant. The new covenant is God saying, I will do this. Again, going back into um, Hebrews 10 At the end of the verse there, God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Over in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says this, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you see what it says there? Bringing many sons to glory. Again, sons are heirs. And ladies, this includes you too. We are the rightful heirs. We are in his family. And then it says, both he who sanctifies, again, who who makes holy, and those who are sanctified, already made holy and sanctified, are all of one. We're one with him. The one who is holy is one with us, those who have been made holy by him. And I love what it says here at the end of uh, Hebrews 2.11. It says, he is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. 
I don't know how your family relations is, but one of the most heartbreaking things can be when we have a brother or sister who wants to have nothing to do with us. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You have been longing for restoration of relationship with that brother or sister. Well, I'm going to tell you that Jesus, Jesus is our perfect older brother, and he is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed to say out loud, this is my brother, this is my sister. And you know what? Because of what Jesus has accomplished, that will never change. He will never give up on you. He will never say, you're not my brother or sister anymore. No, no, no. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. Wow. God says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know, as I conclude today's episode, I want to share about when I first got saved and one of the most wonderful things, I mean, there were so many incredible things when I was born again in October of 1981, but one of the wonderful things was the great sense of belonging belonging, belonging with God's people. It, it, nobody needed to tell me that. I knew it. I felt it. I, I craved for the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ because I was one of them. I belonged to God's people. And I had this great sense as a new believer of being a part of God's family. Wow. I have brothers and sisters in Christ, not only here where I am, near at home, but in the most distant reaches of this earth. I remember a few years ago, I was attending the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and I was uh, invited to be a part of the international luncheon. And I sat at a table, and next to me, I was involved with Christian radio at that time. I was the station manager of a Christian radio ministry in central Pennsylvania. Sitting next to me was a brother in Christ from Turkey who was involved as a station manager of a Christian radio station there. Turkey! And the bond that we had with one another went way beyond our common bond as broadcasters. But the common bond of being a brother, being brothers, no matter where you go, there are your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's your family. And when I first got saved and ever since, not only have I felt like a great sense of belonging with God's people, but being a part of God's family and also being a member of Christ's true church. Mm, the church of the living God, the church which he purchased with his own precious blood. You know, I am just so blessed by this wonderful part of the new covenant of which I am blessed to, to call my own because of Jesus, because of his righteousness, because of his perfection, his perfect finished work to hear God say, and I will be his God, Mark's God, and he shall be among my people, my family, my church. Oh, I'll never forget that first Easter Sunday morning when I was born again. This would have been in uh, April of 1982. And 
in the congregation of the born-again believers as we sang together, Christ the Lord is risen today. Now, I grew up in religion, and I had sung that song many, many times, and I really did like that song. But that particular Sunday was incredible because the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ was alive and living in me. And as one of his people, as, as a part of his family, being his child, his son, being a member of Christ's true church, as we sang, Christ the Lord is risen today, all the saints, they just sang it with all of their hearts. And I sang it at the top of my lungs, tears streaming down my eyes. You know, it's been 32 years since that day, and it still touches me to sing the song of the redeemed, to be a part of God's great family, to be a part of that royal priesthood, that holy nation. And it's not because I'm so good. It's not because I'm so great. It's not because I did all the right things. It's because Jesus is so great. Jesus is so good. Jesus did all the right things. He brought me into this. And this is all because of the Father's heart of love for me and you. Love so strong that he binds us in a blood covenant and says, you're mine. And I want to bless you. And the basis of all of that is not you and your goodness, but me and my goodness given freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to belong? Isn't it wonderful to be a part of God's great people? His holy nation, his royal priesthood, his wonderful family, his true church of the living God. Let's pray. Father, words can hardly express our thankfulness for what you have done through Jesus Christ, your son. Oh, such love, such wondrous love. Father, thank you for giving love to one who is so undeserving me and father thank you for saving us thank you for making us new creations in christ and father god today as we look into the depths and the wonder of your wonderful new covenant thank you father for saying i will be their god and they shall be my people dear father i pray that you by the Holy Spirit now, would take this word which has been delivered to us, and you would, through the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible, inspired the scriptures, the writers, Father, I pray that you would bring revelation and understanding, illumination, turn the light on that we may see you to a greater degree, greater measure, and the full depths of the wonder of being your people, of you being our God. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.